Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but he remembers that he's obeying his commander. Meaning this, if you're at war and you're wandering off like looking for souvenirs, or even back in the trench arguing politics, again, I'm not saying that's not important, but forgetting that you're on a battlefield. And that adds clarity and urgency to how we prioritize our lives and what we fight for. Ricky reminds us today that we are at war. While life might seem peaceful, even mundane at times, as Christians, we recognize that there's a spiritual war taking place. And it's important that we keep this in mind because otherwise, it's easy to get sidetracked. While there's many important pieces of our lives, like careers and relationships and politics, we need to keep everything in perspective. As the Apostle Paul points out, soldiers don't get caught up in civilian affairs, and neither should we. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 19 as he begins his message, The Return of the King. Please turn in your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Now, growing up, I had always heard about the epic three-part fantasy, almost sort of medieval wizards and knights and various things series called Lord of the Rings. And so that great series, I knew a couple things about. One, I love the Chronicles of Narnia books and C.S. Lewis, so he was friends with C.S. Lewis. I knew he was a Catholic author. I knew he was an Oxford professor. I knew that it was kind of defining, a defining literary work in the 20th century even. So early teens, I was like, all right, this is it. I'm gonna read it. I wanna read Lord of the Rings. Even though the language is all old, I love this stuff. Let's do it. So I go to the library and it's three volumes, but they only had the last volume. And so I remember looking at the library shelf in the downtown library and thinking like, well, should I wait? Should I? But, but, but I thought, well, I have no idea when the person's going to return the one book that they have to start the series. So I'll just take the last book and read it. Now, that was a mistake in many ways because it was just names and people. And if you read the last volume of Lord of the Rings, it just starts off and there's people and there's horses and there's stuff happening and there's an army and there's all kinds of stuff. And they all have names, they'll have histories. I don't know any of that. And, and here's what I could gather. Okay, the book opens with this epic conflict. There's, there's the land of Gondor, which is the land of man. It's fighting a desperate, hopeless fight against this powerful, overwhelming force. There are armies of evil orc creatures, powerful, magical, fallen, almost like dragon-riding creatures uh, attacking them. There's an evil force behind them all, driving them forward. And this one city with many walls is is trying to hold out against all of these forces. But, But not only is it dark and dangerous and they're outmatched, this city has been for, for years and years and years looking for its lost king. And it's, it's king that was, the, the ruler was supposed to be there essentially fails the people. He goes. And so the, the people there are having to rally themselves and do the best they can. And even in the midst of the dark and danger, you think, man, this is going to be a sad book, right? You're, you're, you're thinking this is not going to go well. But at the risk of spoiling like a 70-year-old book that was then made into multiple Academy Award-winning movies, the city is saved. 
And I'll spoil that for you. The city is saved. The cavalry, literally, the riders of Rohan, come with the dawn. And the king, the lost king, Aragorn, returns with an unstoppable force behind them after passing through the land of the dead. Now, a lot of parallels here with Tolkien. Reading the last book first, though, of that series did something unique. It meant that when I finally went and reread all the books in order, I knew something that the characters in the story did not know. I knew that in the end, evil is defeated. I knew that in the end, the king returned. And I knew that in the end, all of the suffering and loss and tribulation was worth it because good prevailed. That that is what Revelation 19 is for us. It is us skipping to the end of the story, skipping to the end where we see the return of the king and the last great battle. And, and that end, that end was meant to give hope and encouragement to people in the first century, the seven churches in Asia Minor. It was meant to put courage in their hearts. It was meant to call them to fight on despite the difficulty and tribulations they faced. And today it calls us to do the same thing. In a similar way, we're in the middle of our stories, as it were. We're the characters that don't know the next chapter or two chapters, that, but we do know, we will know after today, the last chapter. We know where it's going. So let's do this. Revelation chapter 19 many ways, the culmination of the conflict between evil and God himself comes to a head. Revelation 19, this is God's word. And Lord, even before we read this, Lord, I pray that you would, oh Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual sight. Lord, let us see. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh... He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that flew directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. 
Those, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on a horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Skip to chapter 20, verse 7, if you would. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is God's word. Now, one of my favorite lines in Lord of the Rings in that particular battle I was describing is this line, that as they go into battle, as their king leads them, they sing this. It says this, then all the hosts of Rohan burst into song and they sang as they slew for the joy of battle was on them and the sound of their singing that was fair and terrible came even to the city. Now this, this, that, that line, they sang as they slew is something that's been stuck in my mind all week as I've looked at Revelation chapter 19. See, this is what happens. This, the, the, the king that they're following at that point is a king that had been captured but, but, but was freed. And so this king that they're following into war is a, kind of restored to himself and they follow him and with joy, they take up the fight. With joy and courage, they take up the fight and fight on. Now, the simple call from the text, you could summarize like this. Take heart, Christian, and fight on as you behold the return of the king. That's what I think God wants to do for us today. Take heart, fight on as you behold the return of the king. Or you could summarize it in the words of Tolkien. Sing as you slay, Christian, as you behold the king. Now, next week, we are going to cover some of the different ways that people interpret Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, which is the thousand-year reign. And, and strangely enough, that often has become the kind of the defining mark of what do you believe about Revelation? Are you premillennial, postmillennial? You know, Tom always joked that he was pan-millennial because he thought it would all pan out in the end, which is a terrible pastor-slash-dad joke that I will repeat again next week for your benefit. But, but all kinds of people have discussions about that. Now, The reason, though, that I read these two complementary texts is that regardless of the view you have, that there should be kind of the same effect on the Christian. So recently we were in Denver, in the Denver area, and I love the Denver area because you can see kind of the the, the mountain range, the Rocky Mountains from the city, especially so if you're like driving up to Boulder or somewhere in the mountains, you get closer. Now, when you're back further, it almost looks like just one range of mountains out in the distance. But as you get closer, you start to realize like, oh wait, these two mountains are much closer. That mountain's over there. And then that mountain is way, you know, miles and miles and miles away down the road. It's just huge and it juts out from the landscape. In other words, you can head to the mountain range and not know exactly the the relationship between the two peaks. And similarly, in today's text, we have these two battles. And so some theologians would say, yep, they're, they're actually two different views of the same 
defining fight in a sense. And so the mountain peaks are at the same level, same time. Others would say, no, 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 this happens. And then a thousand years later, this happens. So they're set further back. Here's, here's what you need to know from, for today. We're gonna talk about that next week. But for today, know this. Seeing the mountains in the distance should have the same effect. Both texts, same effect. Both texts, the effect is take heart, fight on, behold the return of the king. Now, the structure today is simple. Behold the battlefield, behold the king, behold the clash. So first, behold the battlefield. Now, this is where I'm gonna back up and just make some observations really about the, the scope of Revelation and the theme of warfare in Revelation. Revelation is meant to, as its name implies, reveal, right? Literally, it tells you what the point of the book is, Revelation. It's meant to reveal, as we've talked about, the symbols and things are not meant to like obscure the meaning so that you need like a national treasure decoder ring to somehow, you know, get in there and find, aha, I knew Kim Jong-un was in there. I knew it, you know. That, that's not the intent of the text. Instead, the, the images are actually meant to reveal. They're meant to actually clarify things. So what, what has been clarified and revealed to us so far? Well, what's been clear so far is that this life, this world is a battlefield. Look at the players introduced. Revelation chapter 12, we saw Satan and, the, and this woman who represents the church and a child that she's gonna have who is Jesus Christ and, and the, Satan desires to, to gobble up, in a sense, the people of God, gobble up the, the promised Messiah, but he fails, right? And so the dragon rages and roars and, and, and we find out the name of this dragon is Satan, the accuser. He was actually all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, the serpent in the garden. If you've ever seen a serpent and a dragon, dragon, you see, okay, they're actually the same. Isn't that, that's the same? Yes, giant serpent, just using deception. He's an angel whose pride turned him against God. He hates God. He hates people made in God's image. He hates the people of God. So then he sends some different figures onto the battlefield. First, the beast. Now, this is a symbolic or culminating figure representing government power or governing power opposed to the church, opposed to the cause of Christ. And then you have next to him the false prophet, a symbolic or culminating figure representing false teaching and false spirituality, meaning he's, he's the deceiver. He's got all these illusions. He's making you think you're following God, but, but really you're following the dragon in a sense. And then you also have this last figure of Babylon, as we just saw recently, this symbol of worldly culture opposed to Christ. It is worldly culture that upholds and offers the, desire, the, the, the idols of, of money and lust and power. It right? holds out those things and says, come, enjoy. And in a sense, people who are led to their deaths like a siren song being sung to them. Now, I highlight this because this text is the culmination of the theme of warfare in Revelation. Now, remember that this is originally written to Christians in Asia Minor, right? Seven churches in Asia Minor, and those Christians would have been harassed by government power. They would have been, some of them were compromising and being seduced by false teaching. And so why in the world would Revelation be written to these Christians where the message essentially is, oh, it's far worse than you think? For the Christians who are saying, hey, Jesus, it's bad down here. Jesus' response in his revelation is, oh, it's, it's way worse than that. Meaning that the governing authority you're worried about, no, 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 actually, <laughs> it's way worse. There's an evil beast behind him. Or this false teaching that's infecting the church, it's not just some false teaching. It is the false prophet leading you 
away. Meaning you're caught on this battlefield. Wake up, look around. This is war. Sometimes we, we think about life as, you know, I heard somebody say one time that, that essentially because of the advent of movies and television, we all have a story and we're all the hero of our own story. And we're all telling ourselves a story about ourselves. And so some of us are, you know, maybe you're single and you're like, my life is a romantic comedy of hijinks and best friends and, you know, misunderstandings. And, you know, it's, it's kind of adorable. And eventually there'll be the meet cute and I'll find the one and I'll be happy forever. Or you think, man, I'm a, this is, my life is a buddy comedy. Me and my buddy, we just get in all kinds of trouble. We have so much fun. Like, this is great. We hang out every weekend. Or you're, I think most probably common, a superhero, meaning like you've got some super special ability that nobody else around you sees, but someday you, you will be on, your power will be unlocked and everyone will cheer as you soar across the sky, whatever that means for you. Revelation comes to us and says, oh, uh, you're not in a romantic comedy. You're not in a buddy comedy. You're in a war. And in a sense, we, we must come awake to the reality that there is a battlefield, that we walk, the, 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 the floor we walk on is a battlefield, that the life we live is lived at war. And you're like, well, I don't really want to do that. Don't care. That's what's happening. But I want the romantic comedy. Great. See if you can sneak it in between getting shelled by artillery. Like that, you know, if you meet somebody, get married, great, good for you. We'll do a quick wedding. This is war. This is war. Listen, Christian, we must wake up and realize that our life is not just wake up, go to work, go to bed. I mean, wake up, go to work, pick up the kids, watch some Netflix, go to bed. Wake up again, go to work, pick up the kids, watch some Netflix, go to bed. If, if you think your life is that, you are missing it. This is a battlefield. And I think Revelation also calls us to remember that we must be careful to remember the battle we are fighting. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. That is what Revelation is. Our, our world right now is consumed by conflict. There is constant conflict and, and warfare of various kinds. It, it ranges from the mundane to the extreme, okay? It, there is a war going on right now in the parenting world where the free-range parents align themselves with child-led education. And over here, the structured parents have a schedule for their kids and a checklist for every single task, right? And the two lob Instagram posts back and forth, who will emerge victorious? We don't know. We'll wait till your kids grow up and see. Or moving into more serious waters, perhaps the, the vaccine versus the anti-vaccine crowd. How could you put something like that in your body? How could you not, right? This kind of feels like the defining struggle. Or to go further to the serious, Democrat versus Republican, this candidate versus that candidate. Or further, woke versus non-woke. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these things are unimportant. I am saying, and I believe the text is saying, Revelation itself is saying, that the defining battle is the kingdom of Christ against the kingdom of the dragon in this world. That is the fight. And, and what will happen is we will get lost along the way and start fighting other battles 
forgetting the defining battle. I was so grateful for a brother who, in between services, reminded me of 2 Timothy 2, where Paul uses the, the metaphor of the soldier, and he, Paul literally, literally tells Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but he remembers that he's obeying his commander. Meaning this, if you're at war and you're wandering off, like looking for souvenirs, or even back in the trench, arguing politics, Again, I'm not saying that's not important, but forgetting that you're on a battlefield. And that adds clarity and urgency to how we prioritize our lives and what we fight for. Listen, Jesus in Scripture, there's glorious hope. Jesus in Revelation is bringing his kingdom. He is gathering to himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he has given the church the task of going, therefore, and being his witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, that more might hear and more might be saved. And why is there even a gap between Jesus' ascension and his return? It is, we don't know all the reasons in the providence of God, but we know one absolutely clear reason. He delays that more may be gathered to the kingdom of Christ, that the church faithful its task, wages warfare through the proclamation of the gospel and display of it to those around them who are perishing. That is clarifying. Imagine you're at a 4th of July cookout and you invite a neighbor over on a whim and he comes over and he brings some drinks and you start chatting and you realize, oh my gosh, the politician whose face is on my dartboard in the back of the house is his favorite person. And you start, you know, like, well, you know, let's talk more broadly. You know, what are your other interests? And he's just like, oh, communism. Love communism. Go to sleep in a communist blanket every night. Got the hammer and the sickle right there. Love it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you know. And you're like, well, why don't we just play some music? And he's like, great, I got an iPod. All that's in there is Nickelback. I love Nickelback. You're like, oh, my gosh. Okay. What do you do? I'm trying to bring this all the way down to the ground level. What do you do in that moment? Now, you can talk politics. That's not wrong. May be helpful to him. You could try to explain his, explain his musical selections. That may be helpful to him in some ways well. Oh, but brothers and sisters, it is so helpful to remember we are on a battlefield and the dragon is raging and desires to have this neighbor and he is being deceived across the board by the false prophet. And you look at him and you see a prisoner of war that Christ can set free. That changes the way you think about life. First, remember, you're on the battlefield. Behold the battlefield. Second, behold the king. Now, Revelation is utterly honest about the power of the dark forces arrayed against the church. Through the context of Revelation, you see almost arrayed on this side of the battlefield is the dragon behind it all, the beast raging, the false prophet deceiving, Babylon with her siren song, all the kings of the earth, it keeps saying, all the kings of the earth gathered, gathered. It says in Revelation 20, their number is like the sand of the sea. This is not a few folks. This is a massive, seemingly unstoppable army with illusion and power and tricks of every kind. And they come against the people of God. Who can stand against them? Imagine you're sitting in a large theater and the curtain is down. 
There's a lot of anticipation about what's about to be seen on stage, but the curtain is covering up all of the stage props. As the music starts, the curtain goes up, and you're able to see what's before you. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypse, which refers to an unveiling. So think of the book of Revelation as a type of unveiling or revealing of what God plans to do in the future. It's pretty great that God gives clues and glimpses into the future rather than just leaving you to wonder with no frame of reference. As Pastor Ricky has been teaching through the book of Revelation here on Better News Radio, we trust that you've gained some valuable insights into God's heart and desire for a relationship with mankind. If you have some questions about what you've heard today, you can give us a call at 915-562-7100. Once more, that number is 915-562-7100. Pastor Ricky Alcantad is the pastor of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. If you're interested in joining us for more teachings in person, go to betternewsradio.com and click on the church tab. There you'll be able to access information about where we're located and service times. We trust that you're enjoying this series in the book of Revelation, and we look forward to the next edition. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted in God's Word and look for ways that God is speaking to you on Better News Radio.